The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. What's up? What's up, all my BBW barrier breaking women? It's your girl, AJ Andrews, and I am back with another episode with another barrier breaking woman. You guys know how I like my girls, and it's BBW. All my friends are BBW. I'm so excited to dive in to this next episode with this next woman that is just taking names, setting the standard, notching off that first title, the first of many and many. So excited to talk about who I am speaking with on this episode of Barry Breaking One. But first, we got to talk about how me, your girl, has been winning in her melanin. My mellow win for this week, being able to, again, celebrate the small things, celebrate the small victories, that 1% that we sometimes overlook. This week, my mellow win is just coming down to the fact that I had an amazing birthday. And sometimes, and I didn't work, I didn't stress, I was relaxed, and I enjoyed myself. The past couple birthdays haven't been that exciting for me. And this birthday, me and my best friend, we booked a flight on Tuesday, left on Friday to head down to Vegas for my birthday for the weekend. Super last minute, something that we just kind of spur of the moment planned to do and had the best time. And I think that from that mellow win, it's so funny how you're in different instances or different experiences and you get the best quotes or the best advice. And from one of the, we went to one show out in Vegas and what the woman said was, listen, you're here for a reason. You're here to have fun. There are seven days out of the week, but one day and someday are not one of them. And I think that that is definitely how I would sum up this trip. I always talk about, oh, well, one day I'm just going to do this for myself. I'm going to do that for myself. I'm just going to take off, have fun, relax, whatever it is. But I always find myself diving back into work or getting on that grind. And those words of there's seven days a week, but one day isn't one of them. Truly live that out this week when I just decided up on a Tuesday, went up on a Tuesday to head down to Vegas, have a good time for my birthday. It was a great, great birthday. And that is how your girl was winning in her melanin. Now on to the woman of the hour, the woman that is winning in her melanin left and right. My next guest is Kelsey Colzer. She is someone that, as we said, has notched out becoming a first, a first of so much more. The inspiration, the motivation, what she is able to do in her sport is really going to set the standard for what so many other women believe they can attain. So excited for you guys to listen to this next episode with Kelsey Kozer. She is the first black coach for ice hockey in her division. That is huge. So excited for you guys to hear it out and catch you guys on this episode of BBW. All right, all right, we are back with the fabulous barrier-breaking woman, Kelsey Colzer. She played hockey at Princeton, where she received first-team All-Ivy League honors three times. She was also the team's very first All-American. She was the number one draft pick in the National Women's Hockey League, where no Black player had ever gone before. She was the first Black player to be selected first overall in any professional North American Hockey League. 
She then made history this year by becoming the head coach of women's ice hockey at Arcadia University. This is the first black person to coach the sport in this division. I feel like I could have just written an entire book on that introduction alone. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You are a barrier-breaking woman winning in your melanin. I want to ask you, throughout our week as athletes, coaches, when we're moving a group, we don't always take the time to celebrate our small wins, our small victories. First and foremost, Kelsey, how did you Mella win this week? Gosh, um, I think it was just enjoying the the long weekend, honestly, and and you know finding being okay with just you know relaxing and and taking it easy for for a day. It's been obviously a stressful past year, and especially the last few weeks, as you know the the high school years coming to a close. And now, you know, this is really where, where my work picks up even more preparing for this coming season. And so, you know, just to, to take this weekend, like I took Friday off and, and obviously with Monday off for Memorial day, it was the first time that I like in a long time that, you know, I just was okay, just relaxing and, and, you know, taking that time. So I would say that was my like major win for the week and then kind of just hitting the ground running starting yesterday. I love that. And my mellow win a couple of weeks ago was that finally giving myself the time to rest and not feel guilty for it. Being yeah. able to just, <laughs> you know, be in a Zen place and recharge, regroup so that I could go a hundred miles an hour the next week. <laughs> Kelsey, as someone that is on the go, you talk about how your job is about to get, start picking up athlete on the go, coach on the go. I want to get up in your business. I want to see how you do it. How do you do it? Do you have a power song that gets you hype before you would go out on the ice or before you're preparing to give a speech going to recruit? How do you, how do you maintain? What's your song? I would say it's not a specific song. I have, you know, a specific playlist that, you know, that I always use, like usually when I'm driving to places, right. And I'm like, I need to hype myself up. You know, I have this one specific playlist. It has a variety of music, but a lot of, a lot of Beyonce, a lot of like Usher, Neo, that kind of thing that just always gets me in a good mood and, and, you know, gets that smile on my face, even when I'm not feeling my most energized, it's, it's that playlist that I can always turn to when I'm heading to the ranks to just get myself going. You know what I immediately thought? I mean, you said Neo, Beyonce, Queen, Usher. My immediate thought went to play another slow jam by Usher. <laughs> this time, make it sweet. You know what I'm talking about? It just yeah. it sounds to me like the vibe is just chill vibes. You get going to kind yeah. of just up in a groove. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> That's me too. Even if I'm at the gym, I've sometimes put on some slow R&B. I don't know. Don't ask me why. It's just, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. <laughs> what is your hack? How do you, how do you make everything happen? So much to do, so little time. What is your hack to stay organized and stay on the grind? Gosh, I, honestly, I think my hack, even more so than organization, is just um, sleep. Like that is something <laughs> that I do not... I don't let slip. Yeah. It's it's the thing that I'm unapologetic about. Like I need, I, I make sure 
that I stay on top of my sleep. And by sleep, I mean like nine, 10 hours a night. And that's something that I, I know I need and, and I keep in my regiment so that, you know, I can stay on top of the next day and the next day and the next day. So um, I think that's like, that's one of the biggest things that throughout my entire career, whether I was playing or now, you know, even though I'm a bit less, you know, say like, like athletically active, but still, you know, it's more like, you know, mentally challenging now, um, as you know, as I've gotten older and kind of switched from the playing to the coaching, it's always been sleep and making sure that I'm getting, you know, the, you know, I know I'm the kind of person that I need a full eight hours, if not more. And so that's something that I stay on top of for sure. And that just helps me kind of stay organized for the next day. You know, it keeps my mind fresh so that I can stay on top of, you know, all the stuff I need to stay on top of. Well, you look like you get your beauty sleep. You look good, girl. You look refreshed. <laughs> you look good. And your know, sleep is so important. I think, especially as athletes, we don't, we undervalue the importance of sleep and just how good night sleep does for our body, our mind. And I'm very unapologetic about my naps. <laughs> Listen, I got it. I got, I'm taking a nap. I'll call you guys yeah. later. <laughs> Do you have any superstitions that you have to abide by? Like ever since you even started playing hockey? I wouldn't say specifically any superstitions. I tried not to kind of get into that. I mean, I did have a, a kind of a routine per se, but you know, if it didn't happen down to a T, it's not something that, you know, kind of like shattered my, my day and, and, and shattered my mindset <laughs> for, for the game. The, I guess the one weird thing would be, you know, any rank that I went to in terms of like, I always used the second bathroom stall, which seems strange, but that was like my one thing that, that I kind of held on to from a young age is I always, I, you know, and it, and it probably just randomly started. Like I used the second bathroom stall before a game and had like a really good game. Okay, yep. Yeah. And then from then on, it was something that I, I did. I would say that's kind of like the only, I guess, superstition that I, that I had. But besides that, it was just kind of more of staying in a routine on, on like game days and things like that. My superstition switch, because if it doesn't work after, like let's say I do it for three games and it doesn't work the fourth and I switch it up. So I was, had a great game after that second stall. Yeah. I'd be in my mind too. All right. Second stall, yeah. second stall. <laughs> you even sit like all the doors would be open and I'm, there's someone using the second stall. I'm like, ah, I'm just waiting for that stall. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you do? You literally mm -hmm. just like, um. <laughs> I, would, I would just leave and come back like, you know, five minutes later and say like, I'd go about like the rest of my pregame routine and then come back five minutes later and see if it was open at that time. And yeah, it's something that I, I definitely waited for and not always, but like you said, if, if it, you know, I would stick to things. If it didn't work for a game, I'd switch it up. And then maybe I'd go back after a little bit and see. So it's, it's not so much a, a like hard and fast superstition, but you know, definitely routines that I would do if, you know, if I was, if I was playing well and, and we were having success, I'd, I'd stick with specific things. I love that about us athletes. <laughs> like it does like everything else. We're just so to the script, right? You got to work hard, our skills. But when it comes to superstitions, there's no rhyme or reason. It just happened <laughs> once and I'm sticking to it. Yes. Do you have a most embarrassing moment? And if so, what did it teach you? What did you take from it? I wouldn't say that I have like a most embarrassing moment in hockey. However, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up. And, and so I played basketball in middle school and then the first few years of high school. And 
I would say like by far my most embarrassing athletic moment in my life happened in middle school basketball. (laughs) It was just out of not paying attention at all. So I guess that's the lesson is like just to always be aware and, you know, never kind of let your mind wander in the middle of a game. So we, it was the start of the second half and, you know, someone inbounded the ball to me and I ran towards the wrong hoop and tried to shoot like an easy uncontested layup, obviously, because my whole team had run the other way. (laughs) And so I, I, you know, I, I tried to shoot a, a very easy uncontested layup actually missed, got the rebound, went up to shoot again. And one of my teammates had to run down and like block me from shooting the ball more because <laughs> they were like nobody. And I, and nobody could seem to get my attention. I didn't realize that the fact that nobody was down there was obviously the wrong hoop, but that it's by far just like the lack of awareness and then meeting my own teammate to come down and literally block me from shooting anymore into our own basket was probably the most embarrassing sports moment uh, of my life. (laughs) And then, ladies and gentlemen, that is how she switched from the court to the rink. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Kelsey, I want to shift gears a little bit. I loved hearing so much about the fun, what it is that turned, I feel like, you know, turning moments right there, embarrassing (laughs) moments into lifelong (laughs) careers. But for you, what was beautiful black woman playing hockey. What was the first time you really fell in love with your skin and who you are? Yeah. You know, I, I, it's something that even from a young age, I never doubted myself playing the sport, but I never put a lot of stock into, you know, the fact that, you know, I look the way I look and I play the sport that I play. Um, it was never something that, you know, I kind of let myself focus on. And so it probably wasn't until college that, you know, I really embraced being a black woman playing ice hockey and like really celebrated that myself and, and, you know, let myself be, you know, kind of focused on it and the center of attention for that reason. So I, I would say definitely not until college that, you know, I kind of understood the magnitude of, of my position and what it meant for not only myself, but, but others, you know, in the sport, growing up, watching the sport, different things like that. Not to say that I was ever ashamed of, of, you know, my skin and the way I look and in playing ice hockey, but I just don't think it's something that, you know, I paid much attention to and, and celebrated until I got to college. You know, I ask that question to everyone that comes on and a lot of individuals have said, really, I feel like I fell in love with my skin, not until much later, not until college or even past that. And, you know, just kind of stepping into the realization of who you are and having so many different people around you, but also being in different positions as athletes to have this platform, have these girls looking to us as examples, right? And what we want them to feel that maybe we didn't feel when we were younger. And, you know, for me, I think college was a time too, when I really fell in love with my skin and who I was. And so it's really, it's powerful to hear you say that. How were you introduced to hockey? Do you remember the first time you played and what what do you remember about it? Yeah. So I I was introduced to ice hockey at a very young age. You know, I grew up in a very close family. Um, I was raised by a single mom. And so we were very close with, you know, my uncle and my cousins. 
who both played, my uncle coached their teams. And so really, I mean, I was, I can't remember the first time I was at a rink because I was probably like five, six months old. Um, and it was just me getting for the first like four years of my life. It was just me getting lugged around to ranks to, to watch my cousins and go to their tournaments. And, you know, it was really usually a family affair. We were all there watching, supporting, you know, even though they were like 10 years old playing, it, it didn't matter. Hockey was ingrained in me from, you know, the, some of my very first memories. And so I finally like begged my mom to let me try it and, and let me get on the ice and try skating and, and do some clinics and, I really started skating when I was about four years old and, and started doing like different clinics and, and learned to skate, learned to play clinics and then joined, you know, kind of my first little like rec league team, you know, when I was kind of late four, early five years old. So it was hockey's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I don't really have any memory like the I don't really have any memories prior to hockey, to be honest. So it, it really is like the start of, of everything. All those years in the cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. From playing hockey at such a young age and being introduced to it, as you said, when you were a baby, did you ever experience any racism growing up playing a sport that is so predominantly white? Yeah, there, there certainly were instances in which you know, I experienced racism on the ice. I think it's funny because, you know, when I was a kid, I was just so, again, similar to my basketball story, kind of unaware of, of like the people around me and, and what people were saying and who was, you know, yelling from the stands and what my coach was trying to tell me. It was, I was just playing and having fun. And, and so, you know, a lot of times, people would, especially teammates would be like, Oh, did you hear what, what that kid said to you? And, you know, I'd be like, uh, no, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Like I, I was just playing, you know, one of the first instances that I remember, uh, I actually didn't like hear the player, you know, say this to me, but you know, a lot of my teammates, you know, it got back to the bench and, and, you know, they were like, I can't believe, you know, he used the N word towards you. And this was, you know, we're probably talking like, between nine and 11 years old. And so that was one of my first kind of interactions with racism on the ice. There were other instances as I got older that I was, you know, more aware of, especially as I, you know, started to really understand the fact that I was black playing a very, very white sport and, you know, what all of these, you know, discriminatory terms were and, you know, how they could impact me. And so, there were definitely times in high school that, that I, you know, also experienced racism. You know, I'm not lucky, but fortunate in a sense that I, I didn't experience it as much as, as some other players have on the ice, some, some other black players. And um, not only hearing it from, you know, opponents, but like fans and, and even their own teammates, I was always fortunate to have the most supportive teams and teammates that, I really kind of grew up playing with. So they knew me from a very young age. So for them, it was just, it was normal that, that, you know, that I was playing hockey. They didn't even think twice about it. And so they were, they would always come to my defense in those situations, um, especially at the beginning when I was obviously completely unaware of everything else that was going on besides my own thoughts. But, you know, I think that that's something that has definitely, that definitely helped me throughout, throughout the years, um, you know, growing up in the sport. 
remember playing softball at a young and I'm around the same age as you. I mean, 11, 12 years old. And it was my first experience with just microaggressions. And it came from my own coach. And he made a comment where I was getting into it with one of my teammates who happened to be his daughter on the team. And he said to me, do you think you're some sort of a thug? Mind you, again, as we said, 11 years old. Okay. Like we're fifth grade, maybe sixth grade. And, you know, I don't remember really understanding like how deep that microaggression was, but I remember being very upset and just the feelings of just, I don't feel like this was right. What he just said to me, do you have any instance in where it hurt, right? I mean, I know you say you didn't feel aware, right? And to my point, I don't know if I was aware of what was really taking place. I just knew it didn't feel right. Any instance where you just remember feeling like, ah, this is hurtful. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly, I, I'm, I'm positive that I had those experiences, you know, younger. I think a lot of times, you know, it, it had to do with, a lot of times it did have to do with just like smaller things, like, you know, just kind of like even in relation to hair, which I'm sure you've gotten yeah. in the past and, you know, teammates saying, oh, we're going to do this with our, our hair as a team. And me kind of thinking to myself, like, well, I can't really do that. That's not how my <laughs> hair works. And, you know, in college, people being shocked that I didn't shampoo my hair every single day. And I'm like, OK, well, that's the one <laughs> drier than yours is. So, you know, I, I'm mixed race. So I would say, you know, my hair, it's, it's curly, but it's, you know, it's, it's not even, everyone has a different texture, but it was definitely different from, you know, all my white teammates hair. So, you know, it, I think there's, there's some instances in, in that sense. I never really let that in too much. You know, for me, it was, you know, it was just something that I, I always tried to, to kind of brush off. I think what has always kind of impacted me the most is, you know, people commenting on like how articulate I am and, and being shocked that I'm as articulate as I am or that, you know, I speak the way that I speak, you know, not knowing anything about me or my background, but just meaning it as a compliment, but just being completely unaware of, you know, the fact that they think because I look black, I'm supposed to not speak well or, or not be articulate and, and, you know, not have proper grammar. And to a sense, I'm like, you know, I know you mean that as a compliment, but do you not stop and, and think to yourself, like how, how that can be negative for, for someone else. And so that always has, you know, kind of been a thorn in my side on top of the fact that a lot of times people are just like absolutely shocked that I went to Princeton and got into Princeton, graduated from Princeton. Those are a couple things that, that have always, you know, kind of stuck with me throughout, throughout the years is, you know, people making comments that they think are compliments, but they're actually not. And, and yeah. people are just completely unaware of it and, and don't understand at all what they're saying and, and how it's coming across. So those are definitely, you know, those have always kind of stuck with me throughout the years. My favorite is AJ, you're pretty for a black girl. <laughs> I'm like, um, uh, okay. Thanks for the back yeah, comments. Right. <laughs> you know, what's so interesting about that is that throughout my life, like in high, I've, I heard that for a long time, middle school, high school. And I always immediately was just like, ah, thanks. And it wasn't until college, a friend of mine, Justin Macklin, he played football and he just, I think we were sitting at dinner one day and someone had 
said that very thing. And he looked at me and he was like, does that piss you off? And I was like, I know that they're trying to be nice. He's like, I feel like if I was you, it would piss me off every time. He's like, <laughs> you're saying that play for a black girl. So if I, what, but you don't find other black women pretty. And, you know, it wasn't until that conversation where I was like, yeah, I guess that is like, why can't you just be pretty because you're pretty? And I'm like, yeah, Justin, you know what? That's, <laughs> that's a really good point. And it's so interesting how we talk about being unaware, right? We grow up in these instances and you know what people mean, but it isn't until you actually correct them or make it known that that isn't a compliment that people can correct those actions. And for you, where you're having these individuals that doubt you just because of the color of your skin, did you feel added pressure or that you had to do more, overperform because of the color of your skin, because people were probably already doubting you by just because of that? No, I I, honestly, I never felt added pressure, you know, and and I think part of it is because, you know, I think in a sense, you know, I I always wanted to be the best that I could be no matter what I look like or, you know, I wanted to be every person on the ice no matter what they look like. And, you know, I wanted people to compare other people to me. And that's something that, you know, I've always had that mindset growing up. I mean, I always, it it always kind of came a bit naturally to me as well. And and so I think that that definitely helped. I mean, I certainly had to put in the work, especially as you get into college and, you know, professional, but it's something that, you know, I don't know. I I just never let that mindset kind of creep in of, of needing to prove more because, you know, I, I look the way I look, even if it was school related, right. I mean, at Princeton, I, tried to do my, the best that I could do for me, Kelsey Colzer personally. And so, you know, I, I think that that's something that has kind of helped keep that pressure down on, on myself and, you know, just expect the best out of me for me and not the best out of me compared to, you know, XYZ person. I mean, I certainly, you know, I would compare myself to other just players in my position and, and trying to beat them out just like, you know, for the stats, but not, you know, not because they look different than me. And so I think that's something that, that always helped me just keep a love for the game and keep it fun and, and keep it loose and, and, you know, just really enjoy myself as opposed to, you know, putting pressure on myself and, and trying to compare myself to others. Um, it was always just about making me better and, and what's going to improve my own game. So I think that that's something that definitely helped you know, throughout the years. And, and I don't know really the reason for that mindset and not because, you know, I, I, a lot of times you find yourself comparing yourself to others. And in a lot of instances, I think that's one of the downfalls of, you know, the age of technology that we're in. But, you know, for me it, it, in hockey, it was always just trying to be the best me that I could be. And so, you know, I, I think maybe it's because there wasn't there's not exactly a huge sample size to compare myself to in terms of, you know, other girls that, mm-hmm. that look like me. And so I think it was always just about making myself the best that I can be. I think that's a really, really interesting perspective where you hear on one side, it could be, I don't have a lot of individuals that look like me playing the sport, right? I don't have a sample size. How I have to be that person that lets it be known that I belong here and people of color, women of color belong here. 
or you take your stance and say, this hasn't been done. Like I, I can just set the standard and me, what I'm doing is good enough. And I'm going to focus on what it is I get done and allow other people to match my level or go beyond that. But I'm just going to focus on me. And I think that that is a huge takeaway for so, because I know there's so many black women that are in sports where they're one of the only ones where it's so easy to take the perspective of, I got to prove myself, right? I have to get this done versus, or I could just be me and let it be known that I'm good enough. And anyone else that comes and looks like me is good enough as well. And so I really, I really like that. It, it has such an ease about it and it takes yeah. away that pressure that you talked about. It keeps, it keeps the game fun. That's, that's something yeah. that I've always taken a lot of pride in, in, in terms of, you know, myself is that hockey has always been fun since the day I stepped foot on the ice, you know, there's, I'm not going to lie and say there weren't, you know, some tough practices that made me sometimes <laughs> think like, God, like why, you know, this kind Did of I pick it. Oh, right. Yeah. Like there were certainly those practices and, you know, some, some tougher times throughout seasons that, you know, you kind of sit back and, and, but it's, it's always been fun for me. I always, it's, it's always the thing during the week that I looked forward to most when in high school, every day in college, you know, I could not wait to get to the rink. And I think that that's something that, you know, if you're putting that pressure on yourself, it can make it feel like a job and, and who wants a second job or who wants a job on top of going to school and, and trying to do your best in the classroom. And, you know, that, that just making it some, an escape that you look forward to every day is going to lead to so much more success than, you know, trying to put pressure on yourself to compare yourself to others. Like every person has their own role within their own sport. And, you know, that's something that you just have to kind of own and, and take pride in and, and keep it, keep it fun for yourself. Keep it fun. Take pride in everything that you do. And Kelsey, it sounds to me like you shift, you have this mentality of, this is going to be exactly what I make it rather than trying to meet something else. And that leads me right into it is what it is. No, it is what I make it. That is what barrier breaking women do. We change the narrative to it is exactly what I want it to be. Kelsey, what was one moment where you felt like someone may have doubted you and you, instead of adding the pressure, you just went out there and proved them wrong. When I first entered Princeton and, and I had kind of like an interesting path while I was playing at Princeton. I, I started playing forward and then switched to, to defense um, my sophomore year and, and played defense sophomore, junior, senior year. And so, but I remember sitting down with, with my coach who now is like a really good friend of mine, like one of my greatest mentors, you know, especially as I've gotten older and, and switched into coaching, you know, I still have lunch with her, but I remember when, you know, one of the first meetings that I had freshman year, she was the defensive coach at the time. She's now the head coach, but I remember sitting down with her and, and her just kind of like giggling and saying kind of like, you know, we never imagined someone coming out of the, like the Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. Like, you know, she's like, we don't, we don't really recruit there. Like, I, I don't know that they expected much, you know, out of me and, and, it was one of those things that, of course, as I got older and, you know, found a lot of success and we became very close. I mean, she's like one of the, my favorite coaches I've ever had. And, um, and, and even now when we still sit back, you know, sometimes I, I laugh when, when we're chatting and I'm like, Hey, remember how you said like that 
you probably wouldn't have recruited me, you know, if it were up to you and, and look what, you know, look what kind of turned out. I, I had a lot of success and, and, you know, was a part of, of making Princeton women's hockey, what it is, what it is now. And, you know, it's, it's nice that we can laugh about it now. And, and it kind of was that, that little bit of motivation. Like when she said it to me freshman year, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this as fuel. And, and I think she said it in that sense of, you know, knowing that I needed something else to push me and, and, you know, she kind of always knew how to push those buttons for me, which is what I think helped motivate me so much throughout, you know, throughout my four years. But, you know, I just, that comment always kind of stuck with me and, and, you know, kind of motivated me to, to kind of prove her wrong and prove to myself that, you know, just because I, you know, I grew up in, in the Philadelphia area where hockey wasn't really huge, you know, I, I still could hold my own. And, and that was something that, you know, now I, I definitely, you know, we'll, we'll be, you know, having lunch or something and, and I'll, I'll bring that up and we'll, we'll both laugh about it, but you know, and, and she's like, yeah, how wrong was I? Right. That kind of, you know, that kind of, so, so she, she owns it. And, you know, I, I always wonder kind of what her motivation was behind, behind saying that, but it, it certainly worked. Um, it, it worked to, to kind of get me going and, and, that little fire kind of that, that was lit under my butt freshman year. I love that. Hey, motivation, using everything as motivation and elevation. Nothing is going to stop me. And, you know, I think it's so funny how those small comments, sometimes people don't understand. Like my spark was started in that comment. You just fanned the fire. Here we go. (laughs) Time to roll. Melanated and celebrated. Celebrating the amazing accomplishments of women of color in and around sports. Kelsey, I mean, your resume speaks for itself. No black player ever being selected first overall to play any professional North American hockey league before. And then now you are head coach for women's ice hockey team at Arcadia University, first black coach in the sport to hold that position in that division. And Kelsey, on your journey, your career, did you ever think that you would one first be the first of so many different areas, be the first to be drafted first overall. And then when you have now this huge, huge, remarkable accomplishment of being the first black coach in this division, is this something that you always dreamed of? I think in a sense, you know, it's not something that I always thought of in terms of like these exact accomplishments, but you know, growing up, I, I knew that something would have to give, like, I, I knew I would not play in the NHL. I knew that that was not really a thing that was done as much as I wish it was. I knew that that was not going to be, be my path. And so, you know, I knew something was going to have to give. And, and luckily for me, I think I grew up in the sport at, at the perfect time where it really started to take off in terms of women's ice hockey. And now, in the last five years, I think the sport has become more and more ready to, you know, accept minorities and, and grow, grow in, you know, race and ethnicity and just fanship and, you know, people that are playing the sport and loving the sport from all aspects. And so I think with the first that I've accomplished, it's not something that I, you know, thought of specifically growing up, but, you know, I knew in some sense that, you know, something new and something exciting was going to have to come. And so, you know, I'm obviously very happy to, to hold these roles and, 
and, you know, get to say that I was the first, you know, black player drafted first overall in, in a North American hockey draft. And to say now that I'm, you know, the first black female head coach in, in the NCAA, that's, it certainly is something that I knew would have to come. I didn't know exactly how those, those things would come and, and whether it would be myself or not, or whether I just reap the benefit of, of it. But I'm definitely happy that, you know, we're in this position now and, and I have the opportunity to, you know, amplify my, amplify my voice. And, and like you said, just, just be me and do the best I can so that hopefully, you know, moving forward, there's other girls like me that say, Hey, I want to, I want to play professional ice hockey. I want to, I want to coach, you know, XYZ team and, and not think twice about it. You served as advisor to the commissioner on diversity, equity, and inclusion for the NWHL. And then you becoming the first in so many facets, the impact that you've had on the game from your experience and from your achievements, what growth do you feel has been made in hockey and how much more is there that needs to be done? Yeah. You know, obviously, even if you just look at kind of the stats of it, you know, the sport has definitely grown. We're seeing more and more young girls getting into the sport. We're seeing more and more, you know, even NHL teams supporting, you know, young girls programs to help girls get introduced to the sport and make the cost of entering the sport more feasible for families, which is something that I think is so important for the growth of our sport. And now even you look at the number of black girls that are playing NCAA hockey. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's two to three times as many as, you know, there were just, you know, five years ago when I was playing NCAA hockey. And so I think that's something that, you know, we've seen an exponential amount of growth, not just in women and, and young girls that are playing the sport, but in, you know, minorities that are, that are playing the sport and, and becoming fans of the sport and getting their kids involved in the sport. And that's something that I think is so important. Obviously there's, many more steps to go. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with finding more, you know, more minorities and, and more women in power positions within athletics. And especially, you know, in the sport of hockey, that's something that is going to, I think, even more so help with that exponential growth. If, you know, if young girls are, are seeing, folks in power positions, whether it's their coaches or whether it's on, you know, in, in NHL offices or really at, at any level, I think it's, it's so important, you know, even female announcers in, in, in hockey. And, and that is, it's all about the exposure to other people that look like you having something just to, to connect you is so important. And, you know, that on top of, seeing more programs like we've seen grow and, and helping make the entry cost of the sport a bit more feasible and, and educating people on just the, the many different paths you can take within the sport is, is so important. You know, hockey is obviously, it's not a cheap sport. And so I think that is just something that might scare folks away, but you know, you can just play the sport for enjoyment. You know, you don't have to be traveling every single weekend. There's so many different options just to, you know, let your kids experience the sport that, you know, I think we've seen more and more education on that topic and, and just more and more, you know, avenues to, to get introduced. And I think that that is something that we need to continue to grow within our sport, obviously on top of just putting, you know, more and more women and, and minorities in those leadership roles so that other minorities and, and other young, young women can, 
just really see where the sport can take them. Sometimes you got to see it to believe it, to achieve it. And once you right now are allowing so many young girls to see themselves in positions that probably they did not see themselves in years prior. Along your journey of being able to reach the pinnacles that you have been able to reach, one, what is the importance to you of representation? And then also from that, what is the best advice that you have received throughout your journey to get you to where you are today? I mean, representation is huge. When I was growing up, I didn't have that, that one role model that I could like really look to. I had to kind of try to combine features of, of different people to say, okay, yeah, I guess I could see myself like finding success in this sport. And, you know, I, I had to turn to the NHL to find, you know, some, some minority players, which was still hard, you know, even in the early two thousands. But, you know, I remember I, I looked a lot to Jerome McGinley and, and the impact that he had, you know, on the sport and, and the role that he played within the sport and then kind of combine that with, you know, some of the the great female ice hockey players of the time who, you know, were had just had just played in, in their first Olympics, which is kind of crazy to think about that, you know, women's ice hockey was was added to to the Olympics in, in 90, 1998. And so obviously it was, I think, perfect timing for me growing up and, and actually having, you know, a, a female hockey players to look to. But I really had to kind of try to combine features of, of different people into like one role model for myself. And, and that was hard at times. So obviously having more and more minority females that are in the sport, I think really helps, you know, make that emulation, make that, that role model so much easier for other girls to find. And I think, you know, one of the, the greatest pieces of advice that I've gotten is, was just, to let my play speak for itself. You know, obviously, you know, we, we've heard over and over again, the, you know, kind of the concept of, you know, words are just words, you know, like it's, they really have no power unless you give them power. And so, you know, for me that, that was tough at times growing up and, and trying not to react negatively to, to comments that people were making and, and, and try not to let that get inside my own head um, and, and impact my own play. So I think just letting my play speak for itself and, and instead of retaliating either with other comments or, or physically just, you know, retaliating by scoring goals and, and seeing their faces as they skate off the ice, having lost the game, you know, that was something that I think was one of the, the greatest pieces of advice for me and, you know, growing up and just not letting, not letting anyone's words you know, get inside my own head, just my own thoughts, you know, letting those dictate how I feel about myself and, and my place in the game. Woo, a word. First of all, don't let anyone live in your head rent free. My dad told me that when I was like 12 years old. And I was like, yeah, you know what? People, people need to pay. Okay, to be a part <laughs> of my, my mind, you need to pay. I love that. Also, don't allow anyone to make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can do that. Kelsey, it has been amazing talking to you. And to close, I'm going to end with my quote of the week inspired by you. And it is courage is the mastery of fear, not the absence of it. But most of all, courage is knowing what not to fear. And I think that you have explained that perfectly. Your courage comes from knowing who you are, 
what it is you want to accomplish. And that has allowed you to eliminate fear of failure, feel of pressure and of others' opinions. Thank you so much all for tuning in. Kelsey, where can we all find you, follow you and watch you be the coolest head coach ever? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter. You can find Arcadia Women's Italki on Instagram and Twitter as well. And then we'll be starting up uh, this coming October, October of, of 2021. And so I'm excited to you know, have our, our team's inaugural season and, and, you know, see just the, the successes day in and day out that, that we can achieve as a group. So, so stay tuned for that and, you know, go nice. All right. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Make sure you guys follow Berry Breaking Women, subscribe, download, rate, and comment, and make sure you stay winning in your melanin. Ladies, I'll catch all you BBWs later. Thank you.